I need, to, I need to preach. I need to preach today. It's like a fire in my bones. And so the Lord has given me a word. We're going to continue on in Galatians. We're in Galatians chapter 5. We've made it all the way through four chapters. We've got two more chapters, and then we get to start the book of Revelation. You excited about that? I'm excited. I can't wait to uh, get into Galatians. I can't wait to get into Revelation. And I'll tell you, me and uh, 10 other men went down to the G3 conference in Atlanta, Georgia, uh, the, this this week, we went down on Wednesday and came back uh, yesterday around 4 o'clock. And uh, me and these men, we listened to right out. We tried to figure it all up, and some were shorter than others, and there were some breaks. But right at about 20 hours worth, worth of good doctrinal teaching and preaching, and our minds was going, whoa, whoa, whoa. You know, we were about to bust. But we got together, we sat down, we prayed, and we talked, and and uh, we, we try to sharpen one another, we, we confess our sins, and, and we lay ourselves bare, and we say, brother, you've heard good preaching, and I trust you as a man of God, as one of my trusted confidants, what can I do to be a better man of God? Let me ask you, men of God, and this is the question I want to set before you today, what are you doing? What are you doing? Do you live your life on purpose do you want to be a Christ follower, or are you just blabbing it and grabbing it? Are you a faker, or are you for real? And the reason I ask that in that context is, is that, let me tell you something right now. If you live in your own world, and you do your own thing, and you think that no one has the right to speak into your life, then how do you have any idea whether or not you're a man of God? You need to surround yourself with other men of God that can speak into your life, that can look at you and say, brother, you are wrong. You're dead wrong, and here's why, and show it to you in the Holy Scriptures. You see, we all need accountability because we all need to be like Christ. We all need to be conformed to the image of Christ so that we can do anything right or do anything well. If you want to be a good husband, you've got to be a Christ follower. If you want to be a good daddy, you've got to be a Christ follower. If you want to be a good employee, you've you got to be a Christ follower. And if you want to be a good Christ follower, you've got to know the Word of God. And you've got to have other brothers and sisters in your life that can speak into your life and help you to know when you're going astray. You need to confess your sins one to another. You need to do these things. It cannot be a once-in-a-while type of thing. It's got to be an every all-day thing that you're being transformed by the Word of God. And in this is freedom. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. It's freedom. And I equate these things because the Word of God equates freedom and living life like God has called you to live it. And what's the number one command? How has God called us to live? is love. To love thy God with all of their heart, love him more than anything else, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Love, a relationship of love, living out of your love is the way that God has called you to live. But in Galatians chapter 5, it says, it was for freedom that Christ has set you free. And I'm going to show you this here in just a second in the Word of God, but freedom in Christ equals living a life of love that God has called you to. That is also equated in Galatians chapter 5, it says, there is nothing that matters whatsoever. He's going to say that by saying circumcision doesn't matter and uncircumcision doesn't matter. The only, which means doing all the right stuff or not doing anything right. None of that matters except working your faith out in love. And what you do 
does matter. But what it, what it matters is not whether you're justified. It matters whether or not you've been justified, and God is working himself out in your life. So it's God working through you. That's what Paul says when he says, it, it's no longer I that live, but Christ that lives in me. And so today I want to talk to you about that freedom. Today I want to ask you, men of God, women of God, do you live in freedom and does it display itself in your living in love toward everyone around you? That means your wife, your husband, that means your daughters and your sons, that means your bosses, even when their back is turned to you. Do you live in love? Is your heart postured towards God? Is your heart been changed and do you operate out of love or do you live out of your own selfish desires or out of your depression and defeat? Well, neither one of these reactions should be the reaction of a true child of God. Let's stand as we read God's word. We're going to be in Galatians chapter 5, I will get all the way through verse 15 today because this is a section of scripture that I want to cover. And it shows three things. It shows three, it shows three things about freedom. It shows a lot of things, but three things I want to show you about freedom. It, it distinguishes between works righteousness. It distinguishes between word righteousness. And it distinguishes between one righteousness that Jesus Christ won for us on the cross, which is not ours but it's his works righteousness, word righteousness, and one righteousness that he won for us that we didn't have any part of. I'm going to read 15 verses here, uh, and I want you to let and be praying as I, as I read these. And I want you to let the Lord speak to you through these. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, works of the law, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law, the entire law. You are severed from Christ. You who would, who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace, for through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have, I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brother, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Listen to this. It says you were called to freedom. We have a terrible idea of what that means. But listen to what it actually means. He says, brothers, he says, for you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Does that not rock your world? It should. But through love, serve one another. Oh, that's good. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Lord Jesus, we pray that you would bless the reading and the hearing of your word. I pray right now, God, that this would not be some speech. It would not be some charismatic 
talk God, but that it would be the gospel of Jesus Christ that would fall down from heaven, that it would convict wretched sinners, that it would bless uh, believers and saints, that it would show us who we are in Christ, that it would reveal to us the things that need to be cut away from our, from our, from our lives and from our flesh, God. I pray that it would do a work inside of us that would conform us to the image of your son. We pray it all in Christ's name. Bless the reading and the hearing of your word. Amen. You may be seated. I want to talk to you practically today. We've, we've had a lot of theology come out of Galatians. And there's a ton of theology here. But Paul has set the theological foundation of what it is that we should understand and how it is that we should live out of that understanding. And what he has said is, is that, you, that, that the keeping of the law has no room in the conversation about justification or salvation. What you do has nothing to do with you getting saved or being justified before God. But that also leaves no room for you to just do whatever you want to do and to live however you want to live and disobey the law. We see these two extremes, and we see Paul addressing these two extremes. He's saying, you don't have to keep the law to be saved, but once you're saved, you got to keep the law. What does this mean? What does this look like? Are we to keep the law so that God would love us, or are we not? Well, that's the whole wrong question. It's the wrong question. The question is, how do I live now that I know God? And the way that you live now that you know God, this is the test of your faith, brothers and sisters. You want to know whether you're a true believer in Christ? Then open up the Word of God, read the law of God, and ask the question, does my life look like this? You say, I've not even been trying to keep the law. Well, if you're keeping the law without trying to keep the law, I would say it's a pretty good sign that Jesus Christ is living in you, and he's the one keeping the law through you. You see, when I had this question the other day, Brandon, do we still have to follow the Ten Commandments? Nope. You don't have to. You get to. I was listening to Paul Washer. I think it was Washer or either Vody Bach, and we was listening to them in person this, this weekend, and, and he kind of said the same thing, and it was odd that it, that it was the same thing. But he said, he said, I think it was Paul Washer, he said, People come up to me and they say, we're in the new covenant now. The old covenant doesn't apply to me. We say, oh, are you, oh sure, really? Really, the Old Testament's just, we just do away with that, right? We don't need the Old Testament. We got the new. And we like new toys. He said, well, while you don't think it's, it's, it's relevant at all? No, the Old Testament is oppressive. This is what Paul Walsh, I thought was so good. He said, the Old Testament is oppressive. All those rules, the Ten Commandments, just, they're just oppressive. They, they hold me down. They oppress me. And Paul, Paul said, he looked at him and said, well, which one of the commandments is oppressing you? Which one of them is keeping to do what you want to do? Is it the one that says, don't kill people? I'm wanting to kill people, but the Bible's telling me I can't. Is it the one that says that you should not lust after your neighbor's wife? Or what? You, you don't like the Bible because you can't go get with your neighbor's wife? Which one of them is oppressing you? You see, the, the, now we don't follow the, the Old Testament. The old, we don't follow the Levitical system. We don't follow the Old Testament. We don't follow all of these things in order to be justified before God. 
But when God comes to dwell in us, and that's what Jesus Christ does. It says that he, he, he dwells among us, that the word became flesh and dwells among us. That word there is, is literally in the Greek is that he tabernacled among us. That he takes his dwelling place inside of us. And that he then, in his spirit that seals us for the day of redemption. And on this day, that the kingdom of heaven is at hand and that the kingdom of heaven is alive in you. See, we're not waiting for some futuristic kingdom to come. The kingdom of God is alive in you if Jesus Christ lives in you. And we start living in that kingdom right now. And as we live in that kingdom, it's on display for everyone to see. And therefore, the law is not oppressive to you. It's just descriptive of you. Amen? You don't have to tell a believer, hey, please don't go kill that person. Right? Right? So we see Paul laying this out here. And so today we've got this good theological foundation of that our works do not save us. We know that. We know that. Now how does that look in my life? Because I can't do whatever I want to do. And he, re, he recaptures and he, he rephrases this here in another way. And I'm going to show you that he makes this distinction all over again. And this time he says it in a little bit different way than he says... That when Jesus Christ, when he fulfills the law, see, Jesus Christ fulfills the law in you. So Jesus said, I did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law, right? And so Jesus Christ comes and fulfills the law in you so that you might be deemed justified before God. That's how God maintains his justice and uh, his mercy uh, and his love is through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So the law has been fulfilled in, in you, and now it will come out of you. And the way that that looks is described here in Galatians chapter 5. I want to show you three things, and they'll all kind of work here. I want to show you works, righteousness, word, righteousness, and then one, righteousness. And, you know, I wanted to do three W's, so I had to do the one here. But the whole point behind the one righteousness, I want you to remember this. I want you to put it into practice. The one, Lucas, that's not that funny, though. The one righteousness is this, is that Jesus Christ said, it is finished. Paul said, I've run the good race. Jesus Christ was the victor. He was the one that is the author and perfecter of our faith. He won the victory in our place. He won the right to give us his righteousness. It is, it is, it is imparted to us. It's not that we're just even with the house, but when God looks at us, he sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ that was won for us on Calvary, okay? You understand that part now? That's why this is the righteousness of Christ. It has nothing to do with you, but only was imparted to you just like Abraham through what? What? Faith. Faith. Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. It was won for him and given to him. So we see this bear itself out in the text in this way. 
The Bible says, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. And when we look at the scriptures here, we're going to see that number one is a definition of what Jesus Christ did in fulfilling the law. Verse one is that definition. And then verses two through six is talk is Paul making this distinction once again about chasing after righteousness and justification by works-based religion. Basically, Doing all the right things so that God might love you. Basically doing everything that you possibly can and waiting on a handout because you've earned it. This is works-based righteousness, two through six. And then he's going on, and in verses seven through 12, he is talking about the people who are leading the people of God away from true faith into one of these into one of these, and he is going to use that word again, that anathema, that cursing, that wrath. He is going to say, you need to be judged. You need to be punished for what you are doing. Good question there. What does your life say to those around you? You say, I'm not a preacher. Your life is preaching every second of every day. It's just preaching a false gospel many times. If you say that you're a Christian, yet you do all the things that Christians are not to do, then you are saying that it means nothing to be a Christian and that Christ died for nothing. You crucify Christ all over again, the Bible says. You have no place in the kingdom and the wrath of God remains on you because you lead these little ones away. Strong warning in the text to so-called believers. So we see that in verses 7 through 12. And in verse 13 through 15, we see uh, Paul address this other issue of word righteousness. This idea that, that once we are free in Christ, we get to do whatever we want to do. Which is, at this point, to the audience that I'm speaking to, to you and to me and to many around us, this is our idea of freedom. This is our idea. This is the main problem that we deal with. I see it all the time, and you do as well, and you may be one of those that says, I prayed a prayer when I was 13 years old, and therefore I'm good. But I come along, and I talk to you, and I say, yeah, but you're in an adulterous relationship right now. You're sleeping with your girlfriend, and you're not married. Yeah, but Jesus loves me. Jesus hates what you're doing, and you make a mockery out of him. You preach a false gospel with your life when you partake of sin and say, Jesus is cool with my sin. No, he doesn't. This is not the gospel. It's heresy, and you are a liar. You say, that's too hard, preacher. I do not want you to stand before God on the last day and say, Lord, Lord, and he look at you and say, you get out of here. I never knew you. You said a bunch of good stuff. You talked about how you knew me. Never knew me. If my spirit dwelled in you, this is the fruit that would have come out. A tree will be known by the fruit that it bears. Repent today if you just got ticked off because of what I said. Repent. Repent. So that's what we deal with today is this idea that, oh, I said a prayer one time a long time ago, and so, preacher, I'm good. I'm good. How many funerals, oh, my heart is break. It breaks. How many funerals that the family is grasping at straws? I think he said a prayer one time. 
I think he said, I think one time when I think I remember, grab his Bible, grab his Bible. And in the front of the Bible, there's a place right there. There's a place in the front that says uh, he was saved on this day. If your greatest evidence of your salvation is some words written in the front of your Bible, then you are lost, my friend. I don't say that out of anger. I say it out of love. If your salvation is evidenced by words in the front of your Bible, then you're going to hell. I don't know how else to say it. They shouldn't need your Bible. They look at your life. And your life was the word of God lived out because Jesus Christ dwelled in you. You say, that's too hard, preacher. This is serious. This is so serious. Galatians chapter 5. For freedom, let's break it down now. Let's walk through this thing because I want you to be able to walk out of here today and I want you to be able to say, my hope is in Jesus Christ and nothing less. My hope is built on his righteousness. I want you to be able to know beyond a shadow. Do I want to scare you? I don't want to scare you. Yeah, I do. I used to think that was a problem. I used to think that was a problem. You need to be scared. <laughs> you need to use toying with God. And if you're not the one I'm talking to, then you need to hear the message so that you can share the same message to everyone around you because they are going to hell if they don't know Jesus. They're going to be separated. They don't know what life is today, and they certainly won't know it then. You see, we have the words of life. Will you hold it in? Will you hold it in? Life is not worth living without Christ because it doesn't exist apart from Christ. And there are so many cultural Christians that just... Yeah, I'm a Christian, but he has no bearing in their life. There's no fruit in their life. And I want to grab them, and I want to shake them, and I want to say, wake up. What are you doing? Let's break it down. We need to break it down. So he comes out of chapter 4. And what he's saying in chapter 4, if you remember the allegorical uh, story that he told about Hagar and Sarah. And he said, now, what I'm speaking of is, is present Jerusalem, the way that it was done, the way that it's this, this earthly model. And this is slavery, that, that, this, that this model that they thought that they were following, these Jews that were speaking this blasphemous law as pertaining to justification. He's saying that, that this, is, this is slavery. It's not freedom. The freedom of Christ doesn't lead you to Make sure you obey all of these commands in order to get righteousness. But at the same time, that freedom is not allowing you to do whatever you want to do whenever you want to do it. But it operates in this other fashion that emulates the life of Jesus Christ. That life in Christ is freedom from the keeping of the law to get and the doing whatever you want to to get. You see, both of these works-based righteousness and word-based righteousness are all about selfishness. It's all about selfishness. But it was for freedom that Christ has set us free. So what is freedom? 
Why did Jesus set us free? He says, because of this freedom that he's given you, stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. So we see that the goal is freedom. Freedom. So if the goal of Christianity and justification by grace through faith alone is freedom, then why does the world see that Jesus Christ is only looking to enslave them? Isn't this what they think? Every time you talk to someone about the gospel of Christ, what do they say? Well, I don't want to give up my friends. I don't want to give up this. I don't want to give up that. I don't want to be a slave to God. I want to be able to do whatever I want to do whenever I want to do it. But they don't understand that that's not freedom, that's slavery. But he's going to explain it here. Now, the first thing that he talks, he talks about not submitting again to a yoke of slavery. So if you've been set free in Christ and you go back to that keeping of the law or doing whatever you want to do, both are going back to slavery and it's not living in freedom. But to live in freedom, he'll define in just a moment. So let's look first at works-based righteousness. Paul says, Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, so this is works. Circumcision is works here. It was the keeping of the law, the, 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 the doing of the right things in order to what? Because if not careful, now I'm going to make you familiar with a, a term. Some of you already know it, antinomianism. Okay, you say, oh, I got this to go. <laughs> Antinomianism is a very, it's a term that you should know if you're a Christian, but it simply means against the law. It's this idea, and many are antinomians, and many could take the messages that I've been preaching, and many do. Uh, lots of different denominations uh, would say that we're antinomian. The Lutheran, many different, I won't start naming denominations, but many say that this type of preaching is antinomian. And they came against Paul to say the same thing. You're, you're, you're neglecting, or you're, you're abusing, or you're dismissing the, the law of Moses. You heretic, you blasphemer. But that's not what he's doing here. Let's see who he condemns for trying to keep circumcision because it's going to be very key to let the text define who he's talking about. Is he saying that the law doesn't matter at all and do whatever you want to? Let's go to the text. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. He's going to, find, he's going to define right here who he's talking to, and this may be you. He says, you are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. Who is he speaking to when he speaks this rather condemning word and this, this wrathful word, this anathema, this accursed word? Who is he speaking to? He is speaking to you that would be justified through the law. He says it very plainly. You who would be justified by the law. So it's not like they're keeping the law. They're trying to live for Christ. They're trying to, to be holy in every way. And he looks at him and says, y'all quit doing all that good stuff. That's, that's not what it, no, that's not what he's saying. That's not what he's saying at all. The Bible in many, many places, in 1 John, it says that by this we know that we've come to know him if we keep his commandments. So would Paul uh, contradict John in saying that you're keeping the commandments, this is a terrible thing? No, that's not what he's saying. He's addressing a certain type of people doing a certain type of thing. And they are keeping the, what's 1 John say? It says, by this we know that we've come to know him if we commit, keep his commandments and what? There's a clarification. 
and the commandments are not burdensome. So that goes back to the whole idea of I don't have to keep the law. I get to keep the law. I enjoy keeping the law. When I get outside of it, I feel bad, not because, you know, Jesus doesn't love me anymore, because I want to, love, I want to live for my Savior. I love him. You know, it's the only reason you feel bad when you disrespect your wife or when you do something horrible is because she caught you? And then some husbands went, gotcha. <laughs> but no, we get to keep the law. So he identifies who he's speaking about. He says, you are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. He's saying that you're trying to earn grace by the keeping of the law. And because you're doing this, you remove yourself from any opportunity of grace of Jesus Christ. You've cut yourself off from the grace. So anybody that would want to go up the works righteousness road, they cut themselves off. They cut themselves off from Christ. They can't experience the true freedom of Jesus Christ that ends in glory. Now, this is already the inauguration of the kingdom. The kingdom has already started. Eternal life has already begun. You know, we think we're waiting for eternal life to happen. But eternal life, by definition, doesn't have a beginning or an end. And Jesus Christ brings you into eternal life through the death, burial, and resurrection and through the power of the Holy Spirit, and you begin to live now. I'm not waiting to live. By golly, I'm living now. Amen? Some of you are like, I don't know, brother. You should be living now. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Life is now. But if you try to earn uh, the grace of God, if you try to earn your way, then you cut yourself off from Christ and you're severed from the freedom that God offers and from the grace that is expressed through the giving of the Holy Spirit. You're trying to live up here. Now, this is uh, selfishness. If we try, you say, well, hold on. This, this is a pious life. This is a life that, that uh, we keep the law. We, we, uh, we, we, we subject ourselves to rules and regulations, and, and we don't want to live for us. We want to live for God, so we are going to obey all the rules, and, and we're going to do exactly what he wants us to do, so someday we'll get the reward. Let me ask you a question, just a real good logical question. If you are living... If you are living to, if you are living a certain way to get something, and you use, you use a certain means to get that which you desire, what's the goal? Is it the thing you're using to get what you desire, or is it the thing that you desire? The thing that you desire. Let me give you a really practical uh, application. Many of you men. You will come home from work one day. Got some flowers? Yeah, my wife's like, oh, Lord, where's he going? You've got some flowers? Give those flowers. You run in, you wash the dishes. You grabbing the trash up all the time, making sure she sees you. Put it in the trash can, slam the lid real hard so she heard you put it in the trash can. You, uh, you go in, you even sit down with the kids. Do a Bible study with the kids. Hey, babe, you want to come do a Bible study with us? I'm being a great dad. Go in. That night rolls around. Lay down in the bed. 
You pray with a beautiful prayer about God sending you the most beautiful wife. Oh, thank you, Jesus. My wife is smoking hot. Get finished with the prayer. She turns over, turns out the lights, and goes to sleep. <laughs> and you are just mad. That ain't right, woman. That ain't right. You know all the stuff that I did. What's she say? Oh, that wasn't about me? I'm sorry, husbands. I had to do it. I've done that. I've done that. Hey, if you can't say amen, say ouch. Why'd she get mad? You did so much good stuff for her. Why'd she get mad? I mean, you could look at her and be like, and you will. You will until you learn how stupid you really are. You will look at her and you say, but I took out the trash. I, I, I read a Bible story with the kids. I ain't done that in like two months. I, I washed the dishes. Look, I got, I got wrinkles on my hands. I did all of these things. She's looking at you and you say, yeah, none of it was for me. It was all for you. It was all for you. You ain't fooling nobody. You ain't fooling nobody. Nobody that matters. Many people are leading people down this path. Many of our churches, I can fall into this myself. It'll look a little different. If I come asking you why you ain't been at church, why am I asking you why you haven't been at church? Is it because I want to look out and see more butts in these seats? Or is it because I'm concerned about your soul? I'm not outside of this. Paul Washer smacked me right in the eye talking about the local church and talking about the pastors and talking about all of these sermons on sermon audio and all these pastors who are trying to keep up with the John Pipers and the Bodie Bauckhams and the Paul Washers of the world and all of their congregation who are holding them to some kind of crazy expectation thinking that they can be like that when that's just a celebrity who only, the only thing you see is his greatness and you never see his flaws. And I said, amen, amen. But then he said, that pastor is not just going to preach to you. That pastor is just going to preach to you. Your local pastor is keeping watch over your souls, Hebrews 13. And my prideful, yeah, those people, they shouldn't hold me to too high expectations. Went, oh, my gosh. Am I just preaching? Or am I keeping watch over your souls? This pastor is not out of the reach of the flesh. Continually, day by day, we've got to examine our hearts to see whether or not we be in the faith. You've got to hold me accountable. People left the church because I didn't check on them enough. Now, I don't carry all that weight. That's that They left the church because of whatever other reason. But could I have been more helpful? Pastor's human. I wish I could get every one of them. And I need to do a better job. But we all... We all fall here sometimes, every one of us. Now, what I'm going to do is I want to talk to you a little bit about those who would lead you. Paul's going to talk to you a little bit about those who are leading you 
in another direction. Now, I'm going to come back. You'll notice that I stopped at um, verse 4, and I'm going to skip over verses 5 and 6 for just a moment, but we'll take a U-turn here in a second and come back around to it. He says in verse 7, he says, uh, you were running well. Who hindered you? From obeying the truth, this persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have, con, uh, I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brother, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish that those who unsettle you would completely emasculate themselves." What he's saying here, and I'm not going to tear it all apart because it's pretty obvious. What he's saying here is that he's saying, who's doing this? And he's writing this letter to them. And, and obviously, he's got word that the Galatians are starting to be led in another direction. And in their case, it's being led to this keeping of the law, this works-based righteousness. But, but in our time, it's really being led here. Many people are leading them here. Both are happening. But many of the people that I come into, this has been the common denominator. It's been told that, oh, well, Jesus loves you. He's got a wonderful plan for your life. Just say this quick prayer, and you're golden, baby. You've got the, you got the golden ticket. you got fire insurance. And that's just a slam lie from hell. It's a lie from hell. Do you love Jesus? And is he, is he living inside of you? Does it show itself every day? Only then do you know that you have uh, the, the, the Lord of creation living inside of you. Do I believe in the perseverance of the saints? Do I believe that once you're saved, you're always saved? Absolutely. The only question is, is was you ever truly saved in the beginning? And there's no evidence for that for somebody who just does whatever they want to do whenever they want to do it, and they never turn an eye to Christ. There's no, there's no security in that. In, in, in everything that I can see, that person does not know God, and he's going to hell. Now, that will be between them and God on the last day. That will be between them and God on the last day. I can only say, judging by the fruit that is on the tree, it doesn't look to me like you know Jesus. I hope you do, and I hope you repent. That's all we can say. You see, but in this day, they were being led to keep the law in order to be justified, and the common uh, or the most prevalent was circumcision, and circumcision was that sign that, uh, that was given to Abraham so that they would know that they were a set-apart people of God and that they would know who Israel was, who God's people was. This was the sign of the covenant. And so we see Paul here saying that this circumcision doesn't mean anything, it, it, not, not, not like you think it does, but it's the circumcision of the heart, he's going to say in another place. But he's saying right here, he says, <laughs> who's hindering you? Who is it that's coming in and telling you that you have to do this? We would say, who's coming in and telling you that you don't have to do this. Well, who is it that's hindering you? He says, this is very, very serious. He says, I have confidence in the Lord that you won't take any other view. So we say, look, you know the gospel. He, Paul has preached the gospel. He said it before them. He said exactly what God requires, and that's what? Faith. Faith. Justification by grace through faith alone. There's nothing else. And a life lived to God comes out of that because you've died to the law, and now you're alive to Christ, and it's Christ who lives in you. If you're not living, you need, to know, you need to check and see if you ever came to life. That's the whole point. But he says, who is this? He says, I wish the one that was troubling you would bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brother, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? He says, I'm not preaching this. This is not my doctrine. This is not. Remember in chapter 1 where he says, the revelation I received not by man, but it was a revelation. Re 
a revelation of Jesus Christ given by God himself. He said, this is not what I've been preaching. Don't go down that road. I've preached the gospel. And then he says, this is serious, so serious. Now, if you know anything about, does anybody know what the word emasculate means? It means to cut off the male member. I'll just say it that way. And Paul, see, circumcision would, would take a little bit off, right? Most of you know what circumcision is. And the sign of the covenant said, Paul's basically saying, look, these people that think you get holy by cutting a little off, well, then why don't they just cut the whole thing off? That way they'd be super holy. That's basically what he's saying. Hey, if it does so good to cut a little bit off, well, go ahead. Lop it off, baby. You'll be a true saint, right? He's saying, go ahead. He's saying, and now let me take you to Jesus because you say, well, Jesus is more loving and understanding than that. Turn over with me to Matthew uh, chapter 18, verse 6. Check it out. Matthew 18, verse 6. <clears throat> he, ever said, he says, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever, you listen to this very carefully. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. You think this is no big deal? How many times? Let me hit you here. Now you've said it. I, 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 some of you have said it at least. But those of you who are true believers in the room, how often do you let your good friends and your loved ones get away with that whole, oh, I've, I said that prayer one time, but you know they've lived like hell for 20 years. Is it loving to just not say anything? Do you not think that you'll answer one day when you stand before the Lord and he says, I gave you the opportunity. I, send you, I sent you this lost one and they needed to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. They needed to hear that this freedom doesn't operate like that and you were too scared to tell them the truth because you were worrying about offending them. But now they are drowning. Now they are lost forever. How, how much will it be on that day when you have to answer for being ashamed of Christ and not proclaiming the gospel are you did maybe you didn't know maybe you thought that it was a blab it and grab it type of thing maybe some of you are operating in that realm right now well let's look at that now because that's what he starts talking about in verse 13 he says for you were called to freedom brothers where are we called freedom so is freedom in making sure you do everything like Jesus wants you to do in order that he might let you go one day? It's like he's a taskmaster or a slave driver, and if you, if you just do your time, and if you put in your time, and, and if, you, if you make sure you, you cross every T and dot every I, one day he'll make you free. Is that what it is? No, that's selfish because all you want is what he can give you. You don't want him. Okay, so he wants you to experience freedom. So now we have to ask the question, well, well, freedom, I can just do whatever. I'm, I'm born again. I got Jesus. I said that prayer one time. Now I can do whatever I want to do whenever I want to do it. Whatever my flesh wants, that's what I can do. And I can just bank on that old freedom that he gave me. I can bank on that old freedom. Verse 13 says, for you were called to freedom, brothers, only, but, but make sure 
For you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. But through love serve one another. So what does freedom really defined as here? Is it, is it, is it making sure you do all the right stuff? Is it doing whatever suits you? No, what is it? Serving in love. That's what he says here. He says, only do not use your, your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. So this is humble service. It's love. This is selfishness. <coughs> He says, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for sin, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor. You see how he brings the two together. He says, it's not doing, and you're cut off here too. This is slavery, and this is slavery. The only true, you're severed here and you're severed here. The only true freedom is when these two come together and you fulfill the law in love, and you serve, and your freedom is love. And it all is fulfilled, keeping of the law, and all of your desires being met are met right here in the gospel of Jesus Christ. How can you have everything that you want and fulfill the law? It's when the law is everything that you want. Is that in the Bible, preacher? Psalm 1, blessed is the man who does not walk in the ways of the wicked or sit in the seat of scholars or stand in the path of sinners, for his delight is in the law of the Lord. He meditates on it day and night. He is like a tree planted by flowing rivers. In everything that he does, he prospers. What is freedom in Christ? It's getting everything that you want because you get Christ. Is Christ everything that you want? Do you love, love the Word of God? Do you read the Word of God? Let me get practical here for a minute. Men of God, I want to talk to you for a minute. Talking to me. I had to do a lot of soul searching this week. Had to do a lot of questioning of myself. Had to examine that heart. Men of God. Let me ask you right now, praise the Lord, the baby wasn't in there. I've done that before with the baby in there. Men of God, are you leading your families? Do you often wonder, men of God, do you often wonder why you're not a good husband? Do you often wonder why you're not a very good daddy? Do you often wonder why you have no peace? Do you often wonder why you have no power? Do you often wonder why you get run over everywhere you go? Do you often wonder why you question so much? Do you often wonder why you doubt? Do you often wonder why you can't get away from the sins that bind you? And you're convicted, and, and, and I'm just speaking from personal experience. And you know that you need to be in the Word of God. You know that you need to be leading your children. You know that you need to be teaching them the ways of righteousness. How many of you teach your children the way of righteousness, really? 
How many of you are training them in doctrine? You say, well, I don't know doctrine. Why? You say, you're too hard on them, preacher. I don't care. I'm not here to make you feel good. I'm here to tell you that we need to raise up men of God. I'm here to tell you that I need for you to stand up and be a man of God. And I need you to stop playing video games all the time. You laugh, but I'm talking to you. You need to stop. That's a Paul Washer one right there, wasn't it, Mickey? You laugh, but it's about you, and it's about me. I mean, really, how many men in the room are opening up the Word of God, they're opening up commentaries, and they are digging out the Word of God and the meaning of the Scriptures, and they're setting their three-year-olds down. They're setting their 10-year-olds down. They're setting their 13-year-olds down, and they're saying, this is how you're justified. This is how we're sanctified. This is how we live for God. This is what happens when somebody comes against you. This is how you handle that. This is what it means to be saved. This is what it means to be a man of God. Why? Why are you not and why am I not? Why am I not more powerful for God? Why? Because I'm not operating in the freedom of Jesus Christ. Women of God, I could go down that same trail because all of you need work too, don't we? Don't we need work? Don't we need for God to manifest himself in our lives? So how does that happen? You say, man, that was tough, and I'm convicted now. I need to do something. What I do, preacher? You only need one thing. You need one thing that would set you free to live like this. You need one thing, husbands, to come in and bring the flowers, to take out the trash. See, all this is practical. Let's go back to that story, right? You need one thing to take out the trash and to love your wife. Not one day so that she'll do what you want her to do. But every day, every day, you love your children and you unself. You see, you know why we don't train our children? I asked you a while ago, rhetorically, but you want me to tell you why? Because we're too selfish. You can't lie to me because I know. I know you go home at night. I know you go into your house. I know you see your Bible laying there on the table or on the desk or you think about it tucked away wherever it is with all the dust on it. And the Lord says to you, he says, get that Bible and go teach my children. And you say, but Lord, I really want to watch that TV show. But Lord, the game is on. But Lord, my bass boat's calling. But Lord, but Lord, but Lord, selfish. Do you not know the scripture says, for you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another? You see, those are God's children, and he's trusted you with them, and he's called you to serve, 
And he's called you to train them, train a child up into the way that he should go so that when he's old, he won't depart from it. He's called you to do that. And if you loved him, you would. Sometimes we have to be reminded, what's the way then? You just, you told me something bad again, preacher. I feel double convicted now, so tell me. It's the gospel. It's the gospel. You want to know? You want to know what makes you go into the house and be a humble servant to even those that, 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 that they lie to you and they abandon you and they, and they come against you? You want to know how you humbly serve even them? You want to know how you, how you love your husband when he doesn't deserve love? You want to know how you love your children when they're crazy? Do you want to know the gospel? Because while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were worthless and in sorry indignation, we spit at him. And we said, I hate you. You know, no one was there at the cross. Hardly no one was there at the cross. It's done for the whole world. The, whole, the sins of the whole world was poured out in wrath. And in love, he looked from the cross and said, God, don't hold it against them. Love without any expectations. That's love without any reward. It's love without any, any, any hint of being paid back for it. Men, you need the gospel. You need to preach it to yourself every day. You need, to, you need to write it on your hearts. You need to pray that God would write it on your hearts. And when you pull into the driveway, you, you look at yourself in the mirror and you say, Christ died for you, you wretch. To show you how much he loves you and how much he cares for you and how much value you have in him. And when you walk in that door, you're not looking to be served. Oh, you can't. You can't look to be served, for Christ did not come to be served by human hands as if he needed anything. But he came to pour himself out in a humble, in a, as a humble Galilean servant. He took on the form of a man. The gospel. Need the gospel. The gospel. We need it every day. Every day, you say, the gospel's milk. No, no. The gospel's life is life. Revelation chapter 1, verse 17. I think I shared this not that long ago, but I want to share it again. John, the beloved disciple. The one who spent more time than anybody with Christ. It says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. I fell at his feet as though dead. The, the greatest of a struggle. And you say, well, I'm, grown, I'm too grown up for the gospel. The apostle, the beloved disciple. The one who reclined against Jesus. If he wasn't too grown up for the gospel, I promise you're not. 
chapter 1, verse 17 says, When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last, the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore. I have the keys to death and Hades. What did John need? What did John need to pick him up off the ground when he fell as though dead? Gospel. The gospel. The gospel. And let me say this last thing, and the band can come on up. Let me say this last thing. I know that many of you are still not convinced. I know that many of you think that you need to do it your way. And I know that many of you think that that this is where you get joy when you do whatever you want to do. But the true reward comes when Jesus is the reward. When we operate out of our freedom to love without expecting anything in return. You see, you will be doing, oh, this is good. The Lord just give me this, okay? It's good. Oh, this is good. I like it. Okay. There's a when this kind of stuff happens, right? So the Lord, listen, this is good. So let's go back. Let's go back. On that day, he will say, why didn't you do this, 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 and this? And they will look and they say, when did we see you hungry? When did we see you poor? We didn't see you. We didn't, do, we didn't see you. And he said, to the degree that you've done it to the least of these, you've done it to me. Depart from me, I never knew you. Right? There's another group. Right? And he says, it's all. You saw me naked and you clothed me. You saw me, you saw me in prison and you came and you visited me. You saw me hungry and, and you fed me. And they looked at him. The most amazing thing. They looked at him and they said, when did we see you? When did, we, when did we see you? We didn't, we, didn't see you we didn't see you naked. We didn't see you hungry. To the degree that you've done it to the least of these, you've done it to me. When you, when you love Jesus, you, didn't, you don't even know. You just, this is who you are. You don't have to tell a Christian, thou shalt not murder or steal or covet. I would never do that. And, and though they slip and though they may fall, they, oh, Lord, forgive me. I don't, because I love you. I would never want, it's not that you're going to lose reward. It's just because you love Jesus. And you don't want to, you don't want to upset him. You don't, I love you. And see, it's the same with your wife. And how great that reward is when you just, you just love Jesus because you love Jesus. And then one day he says, this is my child and who I am so well pleased. You just live that way because you love Jesus. You've seen the gospel and you've seen what he did and, and oh, he's ravaged your heart. And Man, the church is rough sometimes, ain't it? It's hard work sometimes. 20 hours of preaching this week. I was like, oh. We were up. And it was like, man, we kind of want to go to bed. But these guys, we need to go in here and we need to pray. And we need to talk. And we just got in. And it wasn't our souls, men of God, that was there with me. Wasn't our souls enthralled with joy, even though it was 2 in the morning or whatever. 
When you love Jesus, it's not work. When you love your wife, it's not work. And when you operate in the gospel, when you operate in the gospel, it's not work. Love my wife. And let me tell you something. When you live for Jesus in that way, when you know him in that way and the gospel has come real in your life, the reward is great because the reward is not something that you're waiting for, but it's him. And he's right here right now. Well, I'm not waiting on a reward. I might be waiting on the complete fulfillment of my reward, but I'm not waiting on my reward. I'm already enjoying it. And let me tell you stupid men something. You want to be intimate with your wife? Stop trying to talk her into being intimate with you and start serving her in love. Hey, you go three months, just serve your wife. Don't ask her to have sex with you. Don't ask her to be intimate with you. Man, this is a hard sermon to preach right here. Go, however long it takes. You let her know you serve her and you love her. You won't have to ask. Amen, ladies? And all God's people said, let's all stand to our feet. Guys, if I display nothing else, I want to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, these aren't, these aren't fancy words and this and that and Listen, I'm just being real with you. The gospel transforms. And if you find yourself all the time angry with your wife, you need the gospel. If you find yourselves always torn between video games and teaching the Bible study to your kids at night, you need the gospel. If you find yourself torn between whether or not to, to, to get drunk or to not, or to look at pornography or not, or to serve your wife or not, if you are torn between uh, any sin, it's a gospel issue. You're not believing in Jesus. You're not, you're not acknowledging him, and he's not living inside of you, uh, or it's not coming to fruition at least. You need the gospel. Do you have the gospel of Jesus Christ? Does he live inside of you? Does the Holy Spirit, we'll, we'll, we'll talk next week about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Are the gifts of the Holy Spirit evident in your life? Because a tree will be known by the fruit that it bears. And these are the fruit of the Spirit. This is the fruit it's talking about. But it's not your fruit. It's the fruit of the Spirit. Are these evident in your life? If the Spirit was in your life, it would be. And sometimes we quench the Holy Spirit, so we just need to examine our heart. We quench the Holy Spirit by pride, by lust, by anger, and we need the gospel. So this morning, you've heard the gospel. I don't know how else I could preach it any clearer. You've heard the gospel. I call you to repent. I call you to, to pray. I call you to, to intercede for those around you, and I call you to courage. I call you to courage. Don't go browbeat somebody because they said they were saved 20 years ago and they're good, okay? It's not what I'm saying. You know, don't get the biggest King James you can find and smack them. Walk them through the gospel. Walk them through the fruit. Walk them through the love. You've got the text now. For freedom you were set free, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. You've got the gospel. You can tell them. Go to war for their souls. Get on your knees first. Get on your knees first. 
get the plank out of your own eye, and then go, go talk to your brother about the speck. Please, for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of Christ, let's, 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 get, let's get together on this thing. Jesus, I pray right now for the gospel to be heard, not just by ears, but with hearts. I pray that your word would be written on their hearts, God, that we would be transformed by the renewing of our minds. We've heard the gospel this morning. I've heard it. Lord God, you know I heard that message, and I'm so convicted, even as I stand here. Praise God, I don't preach on my own righteousness, but the righteousness of, of, of your son. And I could go back and, and just play it and try to apply it to my life. God knows I, you know, I need it. And so, Lord, I pray that you would make this, this a, a word that goes forth and doesn't return void. I pray that you are lifted up high, that you would draw men to yourself. I pray that these men in this room, as well as myself, I pray that we, that we would preach the gospel to ourselves every minute of every day that we might even have a chance to be the husbands, the daddies, the workers, the Christians that we should be. And I pray that it wouldn't be out of obligation, but that it would be out of love, out of love out of a love for you and a bent on receiving you and not what you can give. Lord, in this time of, of invitation, God, I pray that we would move, whether in our seats or to the front or, or whatever, I pray, God, that you would move in hearts. And it wouldn't be any kind of proclamation, word faith thing. Not that it would be a word righteousness, but that it would be a receiving of the one righteousness that is offered through Christ. We pray it in Christ, holy holy, holy name. Amen. As the band leads us in this last song of invitation, please do business with God and then hang out for just a minute. We've, we're going to honor the McClure family uh, with just a couple of gifts and, and we're just going to have just a moment to pray over them and, and just a moment. So don't take off too fast after that, but come and respond to the